everyone. Welcome back to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. We have Jackie here today who's going to share with us a bit about her journey with borderline and all of the things that that has entailed for her. We've been really wanting to get you on the podcast, Jackie. So I'm so excited that you're here. Sad Lori's not here because I know she really wanted to be at this one, but she, I know she's like out doing a conference of some sort in Canada. So she's doing the Lord's work as one of my old (laughs) manager friends used to say. Before Jackie introduces herself, I just wanted to make note that in our show notes, there's some information about how to support Jackie's art. She put together this like really beautiful community art piece um, that we're offering to the super feelers. So if you are interested in supporting her artwork and having a piece of our community with you, go to the show notes and read about how to do that. Okay, let's get back to the intro. Tell us who you are and like what brings you here. Yeah, so Jackie, uh, she, her gender pronouns um, live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, on Anishinaabe and Dakota land. Um, and I'm fat, I'm black, uh, I'm loud, and I'm an artist. And so kind of... And also very Hello Witchy. So I'm like, it's the new moon today. <laughs> I am teaching myself how to read tarot right now. Uh-huh. And the deck that I chose was not like a traditional tarot deck that you would start learning on because it's not the cups, pentacles, whatever. It has like other names, but it just was so beautiful. So I was like, okay, this is the one. Like this deck is calling me. Yeah. The first few readings have been wild really yeah like literally so spot on that I was just like this was the deck like that deck called (laughs) me for a reason (laughs) (laughs) you know it did it did when it It hits home that's how you know that it's like definitely for you yeah absolutely um my dog just tried to make an announcement and say hello but what kind of art do you do I don't think that I knew how much art was a part of your identity yeah so um and actually it's very much so in conjunction with my mental health journey um before I was an artist I was an organizer um and working on early childhood education as well as food access and public policy and things like that. And so um, I do a mixture of like, it's, it's really abstract. It's like in your face, bold, like, eh! um, <laughs> and um, I do a lot of oil pastels, charcoal, dry, tra- uh, dry pastels. I love the bright, bold colors. I also really love pouring paint on my body and doing body prints and breast prints and booty prints and things like that. Um, and I have this thing in my head that I'm not going to share, but I'm working on something that's going to be really cool in which you could wear it. Okay. I am so excited. I am yeah. so excited. Yeah. Um, body paint is so powerful. It truly is. I had the experience when I went to a, a formerly all-women's college and when I went to the WRC and I saw this wall of breasts, I was like, huh, 
that's tasteless. But deep down inside, I was saying, I really want to do this. And this was when I was like super Christian and like leading Bible studies and like leading worship groups and things like that. And so, so it was like always a part of like this thing that was unattainable, but who knew that full circle mental health journey, you know, BPD, like art has been like this way, this, this catalyst for me and healing some of these wounds um, that started a really long time ago, but then I felt closed off and felt as if I couldn't experience that life force because of identities at the time that was very hindering. Now I, I see. Oh yeah. That gave me full body chills, full body chills. Um, yeah. I don't think that I knew that you were so integrated in a previous time in your life in a religious community. Yes. Uh, I was, I was that person, um, that was in a worship group. I was like on stage. I was leading Bible studies. I was evangelizing. Um, I was, it was my life and Jesus was very much so my homeboy. Um, and I got to a point where now I feel as if like, the question that I ask myself is, is Jesus still a guide for me? And when I view it from that context, I say, yes, he is still a guide for me, but he served a purpose in my life that, and, and I think, thank him for that. But right now, like, you're not a major guide in my life because I have other things other forces um, that ring truer to my body and my entity that I need uh, to express. And being a Christian is not one of them. Who I just said that. Yeah, that is a, <clears throat> such a beautiful way of saying it because I often hear folks and, you know, wherever you're at and like your beliefs, that's so unique to each individual. Right. But like, I hear so folks who have historically been really um, integrated into those communities and like kind of transition out of it, almost like not shit talk, but like have a lot of judgment for that past life that they lived. And you just said it in such a, um, from such a place of like self-compassion that, that served a purpose for you. And I've heard other folks, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, right? So culturally there's a lot of differences there, but like, I've heard a lot of my friends be like, I don't know what the fuck I was talking about, which is totally a valid perspective, (laughs) but it doesn't have the, that did give me something. And who knows, maybe I will return to pieces of that. I love how like you are with that. Oh, that I really love hearing that because it's been such a process to get to this point. Um, And it's only been most recently that I have. Um, But I think being a witch um, and being in touch with like this life force, this, this, this thing that I think we all call something different, like I think has allowed me to be more honest with my truth. And, um, and that, uh, what's the word I want to use? I'm learning not to operate in fear as much as I've been trained to. And so part of that vulnerability is like, yep, 
mm-hmm, I see you, I think you. And like, I have like journal, I mean, I have like a whole chest full of journals that were notebooks in which I was like writing prayers and like, and notes to my future husband and like, <laughs> just like the thing. And, 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 and I'm like, so how do I reconcile? How do I reconcile being this, uh, myself? How do I reconcile my younger Jackie self and my older Jackie self, my, my, and my future Jackie self? Like, what does that actually look like? And I know that inherently, um, I was going to be a spiritual person and me, me falling into witchcraft is not, uh, anything I should be that, that, um, surprised by, even though I was taught to not become one of those people. And we all know what those people are <laughs> when we uh, think about it. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, no, this was going to happen regardless because I'm was made to be really connected spiritually and to be sensitive in that way. And I think also to, I see that and I see that with BPD and part of me is like, whoa, BPD is the superpower, but also it's like, shit, did that just happen? You know, like, <laughs> so you're like, well, what is it? is it? Is it spirituality? Is it, is it mental health? Like, or is it just, you know, something else that we have no idea. The totally. I hate that too, because I often think like, do I really love this person or is this just my mental illness? Like I have a hard time contextualizing what is real because I'm so trained to think about myself as like disordered, right? In air quotes, yep. disordered. And then it's like, okay, well, even if this is disordered, this is real to me. So do I have to get to the root of it? You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. we do have to get to the root of it because there's health and safety things. But other times it's like, Sarah, just fucking let yourself live, bro. Yeah. 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 And then when I think about li- letting myself live, it's like, okay, well, I want to live as free as I possibly can. I, 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 I owe it to myself to be as free as I can because so much of this life has been in search of a freedom. And I thought that to obtain that freedom meant I had to do certain things. I had to say certain things. I had to wear certain things. But really when I wipe all that stuff away, it's like, and my only job is to be free. It's like, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much freedom in that feeling um, of being able to be like, I'm letting go. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to let go of this, whatever. And that feeling is addictive. And that's what I call life. And that's a life that I want to live. And when I said, because before I was like, I want to die. Um, but I really didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop. I wanted this, this, this agonizing to stop, this repetitive motion to stop. And then I got to the point where I was like, well, I want life. Well, then, well, what does it mean for me actually to live life? And it means for myself to be completely... unhinged from anyone else's shit 
for so and so that I can exist and like be able to like tease out my own shit and be like that's not for right now that's for later and that's something that's always going to be there but I'm you know I got you un- unlocked I know who you are <laughs> I know your number <laughs> Yeah. And just thinking about, I couldn't help but think when you said I am no longer, or I'm working towards no longer operating from this place of fear. Well, the first things that you told us about you are you're black, you're fat, you're loud, you have BP, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like all four of those identities, I do not, I do not hold all of them, right? I hold, um, ha- having mental illness, um, being loud, you know, whatever, but like, all of those identities have to have to have some level of fear in order to try to create safety. So tell me about that. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I think I'm on like three weeks, three or four weeks out of, from being at mental health rehab. I just call it rehab because Regardless of what you're in, in for, no one wants to be there, but you got to be there, right? Um, <laughs> and I have to laugh about it um, because I, one of my favorite movies growing up was 28 Days with Sandra Bullock. And there's a, a, a line in there where she's like, I'm having a bad day. I'm having the worst darn day of my whole left darn life. So if, if it's not too much of you people, just back the fuck off. And it was just like this synthesis of just like her finally realizing that like she is in the shit and that like the shit is coming out and then you have to wreck it, right? And that's what is that the one? Sorry to interrupt, but is that the one where she jumps out of the window to go find the pills that she hid? Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because (laughs) we've all had those moments. <laughs> and some, you know, break their legs. Um, but yeah, no. Um and so I'm just I'm off my second stint and the first time I went in was um back in twenty um March twenty twenty. That was <laughs> oh I didn't I forgot. Now that now that now that I'm saying that, I'm realizing um what happened in March uh, 2020 and during that time in Minneapolis uprising. Um it was the beginning of the uprising and uh George Floyd um and like and the countless people the countless um people murdered people, um indigenous, black, brown, um by the police. Like this is real. And I was at that point in my life where I was like, something was going on. I was moving a lot. Um, I moved 11 times during the pandemic. Um, and that was during an uprising. <laughs> and <laughs> just trying to figure out like, what does safety look like for me? And, and realizing that I can actually ask that question and be, and I can actually like, um, what's the word I'm looking for examine it and like try to seek out the resources in order for me to actually have a free life um and realizing that yeah fear is always going to be there because my life has just been full of just being a fucking target um but it's like but my grandma she continued on 
right? My people, they continued on. Like, that's the story. And that's why people like, cl- like, cl- like cling to the Bible for so long um, is because of like this has been this, this, this foundation of something you can always return back to. When life gets you all kinds of fucked up, you have like your scripture, you have your God, you have, you have your Jesus. And when I went, so when the, when um, George Floyd happened, I was like, I was feeling it all in my body. And mind you, I didn't get diagnosed with BPD until, until November, 2020, but I didn't realize it until January of 2021. Okay. Yep. He didn't tell you what you were diagnosing? So I was, I, I, um, I was confused and I realized I was actually, dis- I was dissociated um, at the time. And they and probably did not, they probably did not communicate it in a way that would allow you to hear it or be effective or be like strengths-based and all of these things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and like, I went through um, rehab and I was like, you know, what do I, and they were like, you, you, you have depression, anxiety, da, da, da. <clears throat> there was no like BPD traits or anything like that. Got diagnosed November, didn't realize it until January, uh, 2021. And she was like, yeah, you, you know, BPD is, that was just like, finally, and all this, this bricks just started piling off. And I was just like, but I was told by these white doctors back in 2018 when I had to take a break from my job, so I was traveling all over, all over Minnesota in my car. <laughs> in Greater Minnesota, I was in it. And I was doing organizing and I was running away. I didn't realize I was doing that. I was just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to work and just do the damn thing because this is what I have to do. But I didn't know I was surviving in that moment. And then I got to the point where I was like, I can't handle it anymore. I literally want to die. And so then fast forwarding to like this year of being able to say, what does safety mean for me? What does it actually look like? And being able to use those words and then have a really amazing supporting partner um, who I love be like, I want to create space for you to learn what does safety mean? And oh yeah, we're polyamorous. <laughs> oh yeah, this is my first like long-term relationship. Oh yeah, um, is, uh, is pandemic and uprising love. Oh yeah, just like, <laughs> my friends are like, they'd be like, yep, that sounds like a Jackie thing. Yep, that sounds exactly what would happen. <laughs> Yeah, your Sandra moment, right? Your Sandra moment of like, there is so much right now. <laughs> like, so much. there's so much good and bad dialectics. They can all live together. But I mean, dude, no wonder there was this need for rehab. Like, yeah. there's so much. We can't live with all of that. We can't. I mean, we do. I don't know how the fuck we do it most of the time. We do live with it. But at some point, like these things have to, like you said, like, what do you do? Something has to give. Something has to give. 
And that was at in, in, in 2018. I was like, okay, I realized that I can only keep myself safe. And this was, and then I had um, my my besties. Um, there were five of us that um, had an intervention with me for me because they were like, we've been seeing these things happen for a really long time, and we're scared. And so, like. In organizing, in the organizing world, we, like, we talk about like the fundamentals of how to do the work and how to be in community, right? And I knew that I started organizing because I wanted a community and I wanted family. And I saw my grandma do it in her way, um, even though it was not political, um, but just be- but her existence made it political. And so, but at the same time, I didn't see how people were caring for their mental health at the same exact time of doing community work. And what I saw growing up was a mother who was dealing with her mental health, who was suicidal and like me being the, like, uh, what's that word? The parentified child. Did I say that correctly? (laughs) And like going to school and talking to my counselors and being like, hey, I'm scared that my mom's not going to make it, you know? And like, but like her going off and like going to her rehab, it was like, but she came back. And it was still just something that everyone spoke about. And so it was like, but there was never the um, the view of, like what happens next when the problem is, is chronic, and that's and that's the that's the story for many people in this country, where their problems are chronic. You know, I don't need to go into all the stats and whatever. There's books out there. There's other podcasts, but like the reality for black and brown mental health. Like the, the the recovery, the the um, the staying alive rates. It's it's intense out here for a motherfucker, but we do it because we have some other reasons out there, right? We have family, we have friends, we have. Even when the system is telling us and the stats are telling us. And so when you ask like, how do I do it? It's, it's because I truly want to know what it feels like to exist in the world and be okay. Cause I know that it's, I know that it, that exists. I know that it exists to not have every problem be so fucking hard and not know if it's going to get any better. And I'm a hopeless romantic, so I'm like, give me my notebook endings. (laughs) You know, for me listening to you, it's like, you said spirituality was going to always be a part of who you were, right? And then you gave us the history of that. Like, 
Black and brown people have used these tools, religion or whatever spiritual kind of like relationship they have as a holding place for hope. I didn't, I wasn't raised in that. I didn't have to have hope held for me in that same way. (laughs) And so like thinking about how those live together is really interesting for me to kind of like hear about and understand because you're saying, I know this exists and this is like Christianity maybe was a part of how you held that, like that hope or that I'm working towards this freedom feeling or whatever. And then you changed the path. (laughs) I don't know. Does that make sense? Is there a relationship there or am I just creating that? And that's not real. No, it's definitely very real. And there's definitely a relationship there. And then, um, because I, everything is connected. Everything is connected. And I think that when I give myself the opportunity to think about those connections, that makes me feel good. And, and I, and I, and I don't say good in the sense of like, I feel good. Like I can just keep going on, but is I feel, I feel good, like warm apple pie and melted ice cream on top. I feel held. I feel not alone. I feel this blood pumping in my, my, my veins and know that there's like this thing that's forever weaving us together. And for me, I want to experience all of that because for so long I was taught that my feelings were too much. It feels new. It feels like I'm I'm like a child for the first time discovering this new way of existing, which is my language of of feelings. And then I'm like, okay, well, there's something to live for. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That very somatic like mindful definition that you gave of like what that connectedness feels like, which is very indicative of the fact that you're an artist that you could like label it so distinctly, right? In all of this, you get your BPD diagnosis. How was it when you realized it? Did you read about it? Like what were the things that you did to try to weave it into your already um, uh, multiple kind of intersecting identities? Mm-hmm. Well, I dove head first. I mean, like I had already been like doing, I already had like playlists on my YouTube that uh, dedicated to BPD before the diagnosis. Um, but once the diagnosis happened, it was like, okay, I, I dove even further in um, buying like Dr. Fox's books and like <laughs> posting comments and shit. Um, but but then it was like, I just felt like this big validation and it was just like, ha, I knew it, you motherfuckers. And then I was like thinking, and this is at the time when I had... <laughs> 
maybe this is worth a different a, a story for a different time. But I had a what's what's an arms worker? An arms worker. Um, arms worker is adult uh, services. Um, and so this is a person that comes out to your home uh, weekly to kind of help make sure that you're getting to help you with your, the goals that you need to get accomplished. It's different than a caseworker. Um, but yeah. And so, um, and so I told him about it. This is a cis white, white man. And he was like, I can't believe, I can't believe that that's happened to you. Like you should sue. And I was like, okay. And so then I started going on this whole, this whole thing about trying to sue. And then I talked to my, my lawyer friend and, and she was like, Jackie, no one wants to read your letters. And and I was like, you're right. But do I understand, like, which, where she was coming from was that the system is so clogged with so many other different things that, like, the weight, your mistreatment is, like, low potatoes on um, and trying to deal with the other injustices in the world. Um, and so that's where, like, personal advocacy comes into play, I, I think. Um, now, granted, I'm not saying you shouldn't sue. Um, if you need, if you need to sue, sue, sue. Um, but I knew that it that my, the the time that I had that I was allocating towards just like my mental health, it was more. It was worth it for me not to. But it was interesting because the this arm worker he didn't understand about the uprising and didn't understand about him being a white male and coming into a black woman's home like weekly and the amount of power that you had and I was literally just asking you to do your homework of reading the, the storybook of the little black boy in the red suit in the snow because it was snowing outside and I was happy and it brought back a really beautiful memory for me and like I wanted to talk about my culture with you I wanted to talk about race with you and also talk about like this art piece that's on our wall and like how this is connected to my mental health. And so like, again, everything is connected and I'm saying that not everyone like has the capability to do that work. And also when I view the, um, when I view clinicians in the real world in real time, I'm like, yo, yo, like you owe it to yourself and to your clients to like do your homework. And like, my partner was like, you know, granted, like you're not their teacher. And I'm like, you're right, I'm not their teacher. Maybe, you know, in a in a down world, I can like make these white to 10 men do their, their homework so that <laughs> they pay me for it. Um, but like, but it's impacting real people in real time. And then you're saying that you want to have a PhD in this and you want to have your own like, your own your own office I'm just like who and I was like I didn't realize that I was that I had like this this um I, I didn't realize I had a polder coming into my home and that was really really hard because I was like trusting this clinician to like do their work and that unfortunate part about particularly 
a clinician with those identities is that he doesn't see the work even when people are handing it to him. Yep. Yep. And that's fucking devastating for me. That's devastating for me who has all of the power of being a white woman. Yep. So I can only imagine the fear and the frustration and the feeling of like rejection and all of these things that that would bring for you. Yeah. Because I truly do want to live in a world where like, I can just trust that we're going to you know get along and like, but you know, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen as much as I will want it to happen. And so so, so when I so when I go back to things being connected and like leaving no trace, you know, when you go camping and whatnot, like I almost view every interaction that I have with people the same way, in which I want to leave, I want to leave things a little better than what they were before because I don't know where you, what kind of day you had, <laughs> and I'm not trying to be on the recipient, you know, on the other end of that interaction and it goes south. Um, but it's like, I see it. I see it almost play out like puzzle pieces connecting together. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I could only, I can only deal with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can say that that leave no trace. I want to leave things better is going to definitely apply to this podcast episode. So I'm really excited that you're here. Well, thank you for having me here. So what do you want to say? You kind of just dropped polyamory. You dropped borderline. Tell us about, if you are up for it, tell us about how your borderline symptoms, which like borderline is absolutely a superpower, particularly in interpersonal relationships, right? We have a lot of empathy. We have so much love to give. We're so spontaneous and sexy and fun. Um, and then there's the other things that are hard that we don't need to name because the world names them for us. But how does all of that influence your relationships, particularly in polyamory? Yeah. So this is a new role for me. My partner um, has been in it for over 10 years. Um, and they've been sex positive for a really long time. Um, and they have been out of some of this uh, structured religion, if you will, for a much longer than I. I feel like I'm very much sold the baby when it comes to um, just uh, being born <laughs> into the world. Um, I would say that It comes up a lot when I when my excitement gets going, and then I realize that and then I begin to talk, and then all of a sudden I realize that I started talking about like ten other things in regards to like the house that um, that we just bought. We just bought a house. <laughs> oh my gosh, we just bought a house. So yeah, we went from um, renting to buying a house within less than six months. It was one of those really crazy things, but it was like we had to jump on it with the market that was how it was, it was like we had to jump, and and so I feel as if 
I feel as if like my partner, like I'm really good at, at like living the life for myself and, and never having to think about other people in regards, just like this romantic person. Um, and we're platonic um, and we're figuring out what sex means for us in our, in our, in our relationship. And I know that I find myself having a difficulty with jealousy. Um, and, and because we're polyamorous, um, sorry, platonic, excuse me. Um, I find myself having like, almost like brain spasms. <laughs> When it comes to me, when it comes to my partner having other partners um, coming over and like, because I also, I, sex is really hard for me right now. Uh, I have a sex therapist. I have so many therapists, it's nothing funny, but I have a sex therapist and my partner has been just so wonderful and coming with me to, to my therapy sessions because so much of my BPD and interpersonal relationship skills are are intertwined um where so to the point where like is uh i feel as if like i just end up freezing so my 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 fight flight and freeze happens so quickly it's like you don't you, you wouldn't have even known that it happened and it had this happened in the thick of eye um and so having to speak with my partner about just like the energy of sex um, and like that, like that impacting me. And then like, maybe we have separate bedrooms and separate floors, but still just like the energy of sex and getting ready for it and like the anticipation is just really intense. And like, I feel it all over my body and I don't like it because it's exhausting and also it feels as if like I can't handle, I can't be a big person like in a polyamorous relationship. Um, but like, I can't deny like what's happening. And so like to the point where like you have this sprinter van and I wish that I had one because I was like, damn it. I wish I wish I was like Sarah, I had a, a van where I could just go and park wherever I want to so that I can give my partner the space so that I could also give myself the space in order to deal with, to live, um, to live life, right? Um, but I'm even talking with like um, some girlfriends about like, hey, do you have extra space for me? So I can just come over whenever I need to just to get, have good boundary um, because my BPD has it where um, boundaries was never a thing growing up and my therapist called it porous boundaries um he, um, he also said i have adjustment disorder <laughs> which i was just like okay. everybody does baby i'm like oh you have a hard time with transitions duh <laughs> <laughs> and it was like i have to diagnose you with something in order to work with you and i'm like i get that um but but that's why I needed to go into uh, why I went to the, why I took myself into ER this last time and why I went to um, rehab was because there was the situation that was occurring in my relationship with my partner and it was just so much that I couldn't handle it and there was the feelings of like 
um, being um, jealous as well as like not understanding what, what was going on and like why my body was responding a certain way to like me feeling as if I just couldn't handle just existing um, without being bothered by every single thing that was happening in the world. And so uh, I feel as if like BPD, oh, sometimes I feel as if it's its own person. And I feel as if like so much of my relationship with my partner has been, and I remember telling this to them and um, telling them this, I said, I feel as if like, I'm so much into your life, but like, you're not so much into my life. And then they came back to me and was like, I see that. I thank you so much for sharing this. And also I feel as if so much of your life has been your mental health because of this, where you're at right now. And like being new to this diagnosis and I mind you, my partner also has mental health things that they're, that they're dealing with. Um, and so it's like, whew, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's do this um but I really needed to go into I needed needed to go into rehab in order to understand how to function in this world with this new diagnosis and with my relationships being the way that they are and because I always knew that I was I shouldn't say I always known but I had uh desires when I was a kid of I was like I'm gonna be this the first black governor of Minnesota. And when I'm governor, I'm going to have mansions full of men. Um, and I want to have, and each day I have a different day for each mansion. And I didn't realize it then yeah. that I was like. <laughs> I want a lawyer, a doctor, a tattoo artist, a like chef. I want one who's tattooed and one who's like very like straight laced put buttons. Yes. Oh yeah. I yes. want them all and I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself and, and I and I, I think I shared it with someone they were like, what are you talking about, Jackie? Um and but I but I realized, you know, as I got older, I was like, oh, that's a very, you know, polyamorous view of sexuality and life. And also back then I was, you know, I, I didn't come out to myself until I got into adult. So I'm also new into my queerness. Um and so so I would totally have mantras full of everyone. <laughs> but but then I also had this thing where I didn't want to have sex until like I, like I was super religious um and so I didn't want to have sex after marriage but also I didn't want to have sex for the first six months after marriage because I wanted to live with the person in order to get to know who they were now again granted another very like other type of way of existing uh, model of relationship um that I was taught was wrong I remember telling people this and they were like, no man in the right mind will ever do that. And I thought, but it makes sense to me. And so I was again, sh shamed into thinking that these ideas that I held was too much and what really was just countercultural. Um, and that's okay, you know? Um, 
but I think it was like my brain trying to like tell me early about something being different about myself and that I needed to operate outside of these walls that I kept so, I kept so, um, I kept trying to put myself into it. I just kept trying, just kept trying, kept trying. But my partner is very um, patient, very loving, very kind. Um, I mentioned that about the sex because I, um, I never thought that I would be this age um, and be in a relationship and not be able to have the type of sex that I thought I would be having. And it's because of all of my emotional stuff is coming up, all my mental stuff is coming up and making it really hard for my physical body to respond the way that I wanted to respond. Yeah. I think this is one of the most dangerous things um, about how we talk to children about sex. There's so much programming about sex in childhood you know, culturally, I know it's going to be very different locationally, all of these things, but like, I was only taught that sex was supposed to be something that I did when I was older and with someone who loved me. Those were the yep. only requirements. Well, fucked both of those up, but it was never taught to me that sex is a messy, that I get to feel good, that I get to ask for these things. And so then when I'm you know, having sex with hundreds of people trying to figure out how to make it the thing, right? The thing that represented love or whatever mm-hmm. I was programmed to believe about it. I'm like, I'm doing it wrong. Well, now mm-hmm. this major thing that I'm doing wrong is giving me severe anxiety. I can't even be present in it. It's like, well, if we had just said to little kids, like, this is what a vulva is. This is what a penis is. This is what a clitoris is. This is how they operate. Have fun with them. As long as everybody says yes, and we're happy and safe, do your thing. See what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Been so different for me and my relationship with sex. Yeah. The other thing I found really interesting that I I'm so, so pumped that you're talking to your friends about like, can I keep a space in your wherever? And who knows, maybe you'll get a van someday. But um, young Sarah would have never believed that she could live alone Hmm. and love it. 29-year-old Sarah has absolutely no intentions of living full-time with a partner in a space where we both own it, you know, and operate it. That just, I need the distance to regulate and not the distance of you're upstairs and I'm downstairs. No, I need you at your mansion down the street. (laughs) Like my ideal living scenario is that like, I'm a mile walk from my primary partner. And I, I give up a lot to, 
to be able to do that, but particularly financially, right? It's very expensive to like operate a home independently. I'm super privileged that I am able to do that. I know that not everybody does, but it's really interesting to me when I talk with other people with borderline who, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's a part of their symptoms or not, but are trying to keep their partners, you know, very um, close and integrated into this shared space because my symptoms run wild and rampant in shared spaces like that. And then you add on the polyamory stuff. Mm. Like that's just a boundary for me that I'm like, I would love to have a shared space someday, maybe with a primary partner, maybe, maybe where I'm the only owner of the home. (laughs) Can that break? But like, shared space where the expectation is like, you're here three nights a week and you have your own room. And I can like get up in the middle of the night and like bop down the hall and like crawl into bed with you or whatever. But I don't, I don't plan to ever have the white picket fence, two and a half kids, like crock pot when you get home ideal that we were taught that we should have that I will, my borderline could never function well in that. Mm. And when you said that, I'm like, give it all to me. I can't share a space with someone that much and be regulated the way that I want to be regulated and other people can totally. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. I'm still in mourning of, um, living alone. Cause I really wanted to live alone. And, and, and when I first went into rehab, I was getting out and my, my therapist was like, I don't think that it's best that you live alone right now. And I was just like, but, but are you sure? And she was like, yeah, it's, I, I don't recommend it. And so then that's when my partner reached out to me, but well, that was before we were partners. They were like, Hey, are you willing to, you know, you want to think about living with me again? Cause they're looking for roommates. Um, and then <laughs> I was like, actually, yeah. Um, and then like a couple months later, it was like, are we partners? <laughs> yeah. And so then the, and then it just kept going and just kept going. And it, and it was like feeling safe and comfortable and loved and, uh, and just being able to like, like engage with their family and just like, it was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't make it up. It was just like things unfolding very beautifully. Um, and, and it was happening all the way that I was not plan, uh, anticipating it. I did not plan for it. It was just like, bam, here it is. And the same thing that happened with the house because they, my partner too, also moved a lot during their, um, their adulthood. Um, and so it's like, and we, and we both have these different views of what, we have this beautiful different views of what we wanted for the house and before we met. And then all of a sudden, like we get together and then this house happens and it was exactly what we both envisioned, you know? Um, but like, definitely my control comes up. My, my, um, what's the, uh, what's the word? The, I know best. <laughs> but my partner and I, we um, we take pride in being able to share when the other person was right, and being able to just like give them the props 
because it's important. And and we've and we and we're learning little tips. We're learning little tips along here along the way. Like for example, um, we have a rubber ducky um, that represents um, please don't talk to me um, or I need space. And then we have another rubber ducky that's uh, red with, with flames are coming out and it's I'm mad at you. Please don't talk to me. I will come back. But like because of myself and like me really like needing the attachment. Um, I'm like, well, what did I do? What did I do? And so um, this rubber ducky has been a way of being able to communicate when we can't communicate uh, and help me to like lower down my, my anxiety a little bit. Um, and then it also helps that all the rubber duckies look, look different. And so I kind of play with them and create different narratives for them. Up. yeah that's really cute I love that it's a duck how like playful and childlike yeah yeah I love that inner child stuff well my friend it has just been so wonderful we are going to have you back because I want to get like the the like six months or one year update on your life because you're in a much calmer space than you have been but like coming out of that chaos that long standing chaos, 11 moves, George Floyd, where you were living, like the pandemic, all of these things. I can only imagine how you integrate your learnings, your identity, how your partnership is going, what's up with your sex life, um, all of that in like six months or a year, because it'll be really cool to follow that growth. I agree. I would love to be back. Yeah. What is like one thing that you want folks to take away from this conversation? I think I kind of go back to the thing about hardness. That although the hardness is here, it is not always going to be here. It just becomes very kind of hard, but that we can make it through. We can make it through. And that however you make it through is okay. <laughs> because it's exhausting and sometimes you don't have the resources that you're expect expecting, the location that you're expecting, the the space that you're expecting. But if we put it out into the universe, we ask for some help, you will get yourself through. I needed to hear that. So I know you've already made an impact on one person, but there's going to be so many people that really resonate with your story and um, especially everything about connectedness, how things are so connected and how they show up in each other. And I'm just really honored and grateful that you came to share with us today. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey, and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. 
The links to that are included in the show notes. So check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you and we'll see you next time.